Welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. This is your host, Doug Irwin. On this episode of the podcast, I speak with Robert Ellis, executive coach and author of the book Coaching from Essence. This is a particularly special episode for me. Robert was my coach for many, many years. I've trained with him as an apprentice in his program, and he's just a dear friend, mentor, and sage. We cover a lot of ground in the conversation, laying the foundation for the Coaching from Essence framework, and then we go into application of Coaching from Essence as it relates to entrepreneurs, startup founders, and specifically leaders. We spend a lot of time talking about leadership, the personal transformations required, and ways of thinking about leadership. I found it to be a fascinating conversation, and I think there's a lot of take-home value for your life and your business. So on with the podcast. Welcome, Robert, to the Growth Pioneers podcast. It is my absolute pleasure to have you. Hey, Doug, thanks for having me. It is such a special honor for me to have you on the podcast. You have been such a meaningful person in my life. I think probably one of the most impactful people in my life. And for you to come on my podcast, just it really makes my day. So I'm just really excited to have this conversation with you. Mm, Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. And it's been a pleasure to know you, Doug. Yeah, thank you, Robert. Yeah. So just for the audience, you know, Robert is an executive coach and author of a great book called Coaching from Message, which we'll get into. But, you know, Robert, maybe you could just give a little bit of a personal background for the audience. I have been a management trainer, facilitator, coach for about 35 years now. Most of my work was working with Fortune 500 companies for a number of years doing management and leadership training and doing facilitation for things like offsites and team buildings and strategy sessions and that sort of thing. And about six or seven years ago, I went through kind of a personal dark night of the soul where I had to reinvent myself. You know, up until then, I'd been doing a lot of professional work that was good and fun and created a lot of value, but there was this sort of professional distance between myself and the people I was working with that wasn't very fulfilling. And so about five or six years ago, I completely reinvented the way that I worked and the kinds of relationships that I had with the people I worked with. And that's become my approach to coaching. And that's what the book is about. I feel like I'm going to go through this whole podcast and tell you, this is one of the key things I learned from you. But one of the key (laughs) things that I learned from you was this idea that you didn't have to have professional distance, right? Like you could create a practice or you could create a different way of being in the world. And that is one of those things that will be ever part of my DNA going forward. Yeah. Coaching from Essence, the book, you know, really is built upon all your work leading up to that. So this is sort of a beautiful, I don't know, summation, but creation from that. You kind of mentioned your darkness. Well, do you want to give us a little bit about like how you created Coaching from Essence? I think that's a really powerful story. Again, it was, it's been about 2016, 2015, 2016 were the hardest years of my life. At the end of 2014, I went through a, an emotional and physical heartbreak. In 2016, I had two heart operations for atrial fibrillation. I went through a really a pretty dark period of deep depression. I mean, to the point of being suicidal. And I would wake up every morning and I would ask myself, you know, how did this get to be my life? Because I'd created the exact opposite of everything I thought I wanted. It's the kind of thing that you think can't happen to you. I went through a long life feeling like everything was okay. 
And it took my life really falling apart, utterly falling apart to realize that I was not leading the life that I was here for. It's what I call the essential choice. What, it, what I realized was I had been living from self-interest, status-seeking, scarcity, and survival, which I think is the hidden curriculum we're all taught will make us happy. And that just didn't really work for me. I mean, part of that is the professional distance. You know, it's, it's that self-interest. When my life fell apart and I asked myself, how did this get to be my life? I realized that the reason my life fell apart is I was half-hearted everywhere. You know, I wasn't really committed to anything. I wasn't committed in the relationship I was in. I wasn't committed to the work I was doing. I wasn't committed to the place where I lived or my friends or things like that. And so I went on a quest to become wholehearted. And quest, I, I really mean that in a very specific way, as you know. So I went on a quest to be wholehearted. And my quest, John, was how can I be wholehearted? Every good quest starts with a good question. It's really helpful to know what your question is. What is it that you're trying to answer? You know, if you ask yourself a question often enough, you get an answer. So for me, the answer was to start living my life more from a sense of essence, abundance, service, and trust. And essence is also a word that I use in a very specific way. So I eventually created this program called Coaching from Essence, which is a program to train coaches who work with leaders. And the book is called Coaching from Essence. But really the essence of Coaching from Essence is the idea that all of us have a natural way of being in the world that's valuable without any real thought or effort on our part. Or even a shorter way of thinking about it is that we all have a way of being good. And so I had to find my way of being good in the world. And when you do that, you want to give yourself away. I mean, what I discovered for myself was that happiness was creating a life where I could just show up more fully as my best self. And so the aim of coaching from essence is to help people disentangle themselves from form, learn how to navigate form, and ultimately to learn how to create forms that match their essence. And what I mean by form is just your life, the way it works, what you do, where you live, the kinds of relationships you have, all of that is form. Thoughts are forms too. They're thought forms. So creating thought forms that help you is really beneficial. That was my journey. Over a period of a couple of years, I completely turned my life around, started to be more successful than I'd ever been financially, emotionally, creating incredible relationships and incredible coaching practice. And then people just started to ask me how I did it. And that's why I created Coaching from Essence. I never had any intention to train coaches. I just really loved working with leaders and entrepreneurs. That's how it happened. Well, my heart goes out to you. I mean, I know that was such a challenging period for you. I think it's such a classic or an amazing example how you can transmute something that is so painful and turn it into the gift to the world. I mean, I can just, you know, speak personally from that perspective. I mean, I'm sorry you went through that dark night, but I'm in many ways, I'm very grateful you went through that because I, the work that you brought to me that I now bring out to my team and to my clients is remarkable. And it's just beautiful to see how you can, you've been able to transmute that. Just so many things come up for me. I mean, one of the things, you know, when we first started talking about essence, 
I'm trained as a computer engineer. And so I just used to think work was spreadsheets and code. And I would just do this thing naturally, like connect people. And I was like, oh, that's not really work. You know, that's just this thing that I ha- that I just happened to do all the time, whatever, that's not really work. And really, it was the first time for me, at least, that I connected with like, no, like I'm a super connector and that's part of my essence. It happens effortlessly and naturally and provides all this value to people. You taught me to go onto a quest. I like went at one point, I don't know, many years ago, I, I went around and was like, was that connection useful? And people were like, yeah, it was totally useful. And I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that was so useful. <laughs> I mean, that's such a good example of what essence is and finding out what your essence is. You know, it would be great if there was an essence instrument, but I'm not a big believer in instruments like Myers-Briggs or StrengthsFinder or things like that. They certainly have their place and they can be clues, but they're more about personality. Essence is not personality. I think of essence maybe as a subset of personality. Personality also includes a lot of things that we've learned and strategies that we've adopted over a lifetime to help us navigate. But essence is not personality. It's not purpose either. We can have multiple purposes or multiple callings. It's not our passions. Passions, I love playing the guitar, but it's not my essence. I can't play it very well. It's something I enjoy. It's not passion. It's not purpose. It's not passion. It's not personality. It's something deeper And I like to keep it a little bit mysterious. I think of my essence as, you know, sort of a relationship I have with a deeper, better part of myself. That really resonates with me. I think deconstructing a lot of the conditioning and that I had to go through and really listen to to an inner knowing to really further develop an understanding of my essence, which I I wouldn't say that I fully developed, but I, I do think that learning to listen to your inner knowing it took some practice for, or takes practice. But what I've learned is once you lean into that, it's B prime, which we'll have to talk about, but it is definitely B, you know, better yeah. than you can possibly imagine. Sorry, I'm giving you, I'm jumping ahead there. But. The more you create a life that matches your essence, the happier you are, the more successful you are, and the less effort it requires. And by the way, I mean, we've been talking a lot on a personal level, but this is all very much true at a leadership level and for organizations. Organizations have essence too. And they get into trouble when they stray too far from their essence or when they're creating things that aren't congruent with their essence. It can be incredibly helpful for an organization to have some understanding or curiosity about what their essence is. What is it that they naturally do that's valuable? How do they naturally create value? What's a good example of that? Like, what have you seen? Like, what's a good example of a Well, I mean, take, let's use Apple as an example, because I think that's an example that pretty much everybody listening would understand. If you think about Apple, what comes to mind? Well, creative, like innovative, beautifully designed. Yeah. There's something about that that is Apple's essence. If Apple started to create things that didn't play to their natural strengths of creativity and good design and aesthetics and so forth and usability and all of that, then it would be a huge mistake. So you notice that Apple doesn't, unlike Microsoft, they didn't buy LinkedIn. They don't, they don't do things that don't play to that natural essence, those natural competencies, but it's more than competencies. There's something about the spirit of Apple that is 
so aligned and so congruent with creativity and design and so forth. As long as they're creating things that are consistent with that, they seem to do pretty well. Now you could argue maybe uh, the Apple card is a little bit outside of that, but but then look at the Apple card. <laughs> yeah, and the few of the dongles that they created, yeah. I think, you know, that's yeah. okay. But, you know. It, but, but yes, exactly. So the things that didn't work out so well, you know, didn't really resonate with that essence. Let's talk a little bit about leadership as it relates to this too. This is, we have been talking a little bit, you know, about personal and you, what's your definition of leadership? Let's start with that. Well, I think about leadership a little bit differently, I think, than most people do. To understand the way that I view it, you really have to understand the difference between paths and quests. I'll give you the short version of this because it's also a little bit visual. It's much easier to understand if you see it or if you read the book, I outline it there. But, but here's the short version. All you're ever trying to do is get from A to B. Okay, A is where you are now. B is wherever it is you think you want to go. So if you're sitting in your office right now and you're thirsty and you want to go to the kitchen to get something to drink, then your office is A and the kitchen is B, right? If you're doing a startup and you're just iterating on on an idea right now and you have a vision of where you want to be, then iterating on that idea wherever you are right now is A and your vision, what you can envision now from where you are now is B. Well, first of all, you have to ask where B comes from. Where do our goals come from? How do we decide what to pursue and what we think is possible? The way I think of that is that for most of us, B comes from our past. We have experiences. We decide what those experiences mean, and then that determines what's possible for us or what's attractive to us and so forth. So most of the time, we're actually creating from the past, and often we're just recreating a different version of what we already know how to do. But let's say that B is not very aspirational. It's not very complicated. It's not very ambitious. It doesn't require a lot of collaboration or resources or time, et cetera, et cetera. Then you can get a pretty clear idea of B, and you can just reverse engineer B, sort of backcast, work your way back, and you can figure out how to get from A to B, you'll probably end up pretty close to a B that you imagined when you left A. Okay, so that's what I call a path. If you're on a path, really you're just looking for the shortest distance between two points. It's a project management challenge. And that's how I define management. Management is guiding people along a pretty predictable course from A to B, okay? And management is important. You know, if you look at your life, there are many things in your life where you're just recreating B. We have habits and rituals, and you probably do the same thing every morning. You don't have to think about it. And that's helpful, right? But that's a path. Now, let's say that you want to create something that's more aspirational. Let's say you're a startup. Let's say you're an entrepreneur. You have a vision of what you want to create. That's your B. But that B is actually the best thing that you can imagine now. We don't really know what's possible when you do your startup. You have an idea. You have your idea of what the best outcome that would be possible. So B is the best thing that you can imagine. But what you really want is something better than you can imagine. You don't really know what's possible. 
you don't actually want to get from A to B. You aim for B because it's the best thing you can imagine. That gives you some direction. But what you really want is something better than you can imagine. I call that B prime. And to get to B prime, you have to go on a quest. There is no way of reverse engineering it because you don't even know what it is. You don't know what's possible. So to be on a quest versus a path, that's my idea of leadership. Leadership is the ability to take someone or a group of people and help them navigate the unknown on the way to something better than they can imagine. If you're just creating something that you already know how to create, you're a manager. If you're just creating something that you can already see and you know exactly what it is, you know exactly what you're aiming for, you're a manager. If you're trying to create something where you don't really know what's possible, where it's more aspirational, maybe more complicated, maybe longer term or requires more collaboration, then you're a leader. And there are ways of being on a quest. You know, there are ways of optimizing for a quest. And the first thing we've already talked about, which is knowing what your question is. Yes, you know. getting to the good question. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, one of the things that I, I really love about A to B is the idea, like you have to break out of the orbit of A. Exactly. So what are yeah. some of the challenges leaders face breaking out of A? I mean, it sounds like there's maybe two, two fundamental challenges. A, are you actually a leader or are you just managing? That's number one thing, getting the quest. But how do you break out of A? What are some advice you'd give to leaders when they're trying to First of all, you know, again, I want to say there's absolutely no judgment about this. We need managers and we need leaders. And if you look at your own personal life, there are parts of your life that are very path-like and then parts of your life that are more quest-like. In every business, the same thing is true. When you're a startup, your business is actually more quest-like. You're on a quest to find out. Maybe you're trying to find your minimal viable product. You're trying to understand your customers. You're trying to understand the market and so forth. And so you're trying lots of different things. Maybe you're doing lean startup and you're conducting lots of experiments. So at the beginning, it's very quest-like. Your aim actually is to turn more and more of your business into a path so that you can replicate it and scale it. Where some companies get into trouble is that their organization becomes too path-like and they're not questing anywhere. They're, they don't continue to innovate. They lose their curiosity and creativity. So just to be clear, you need both. And sometimes the same person can be both a good manager and a good leader, and sometimes you need different people depending on, on what you're creating. You're right. One way to think about A to B, when I draw it sometimes, and pre-COVID when I used to meet with clients in cafes and I'd pull out a three by five card and draw all of this out. You know, I would draw A with a big dot under it and I'd draw B with a big dot under it. And they would look sort of like planets, you know, and one way to think about it is A is kind of like earth and B is sort of like the moon, right? So A has much more gravity than the moon, especially when you're on earth. You have to overcome that gravity. And B prime has even less gravity. And by the way, we haven't talked about B sub. The only way to create B prime, the only way to create something better than you can imagine is to risk creating something less than you can imagine. Some people call that failure. I call it a lesson. If you are learning from all of your experiences, there is no failure. You need to learn and you need to risk failure in order to create something better. That's why you conduct experiments. I mean, the way you go on a quest is you try lots of different things, especially 
you make the effort to try things that you wouldn't ordinarily try. I just have to tell you that one of the most powerful things that you ever said to me was regarding B-Sub. When I had my medical device company, we did not sell it for tens of millions of dollars. We sold it for way less than that. And I walked around with this idea that it was a failure in my mind for a long time. And that reframe of, no, it wasn't a failure. It was just a lesson freed me of so many personal <laughs> challenges. So I just wanted, you know, that just that concept alone was so freeing to me that, no, look, you're aiming big, you're aiming for something, but you're risking something and you may not get what you thought you wanted. In my case, I thought I wanted money and status and all these other things, which um, honestly, I'm really glad I didn't get those at that time. That would have been probably difficult, but you know, whatever. But what I got was something more powerful, which was this powerful lesson about humility, what it really means to be an entrepreneur, to work with other entrepreneurs. That is exactly what I needed for this next phase of my life. The universe gave me exactly what I needed to be successful in the next thing. And, and so that was just one of the most transformative things you've ever talked to me about in what would also be a huge bucket of amazingly transformative things <laughs> that you've talked to me about. So thank you for that. That's also a really good example. Like you said, if you had been successful, you were pursuing self-interest, status-seeking, scarcity, and survival. It may have been great. It may have been a great company, but if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you were at risk of doing what I call failing by succeeding. You would have been a successful entrepreneur and created a lot of money. And you might have become someone you didn't want to be. That's the important thing. I mean, for most people and most of your listeners, I'm guessing, since they're entrepreneurs and business people and so forth, are probably already pretty successful. It's really important to know what is enough. If you are pursuing things just for money, if you're pursuing things just for self-interest, status-seeking, scarcity, and survival, it's really a kind of a fool's errand. Once you achieve a certain level, there really isn't much to gain by doing that. You'll probably be a lot happier and the world would be a much better place if you started to create from essence, abundance, and service, and trust. Maybe we can talk more about that later. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. But your question about gravity is, yes, A has the most gravity because A is the most comfortable, it's known, it's familiar, right? It's inertia. You have to overcome inertia. So it's very comfortable. There's a lot of weight to just staying where you are or not just staying where you are, but just sort of recreating what you already know you can do. So a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people just keep recreating previous success. They just keep doing what they've already mastered. That's good. It's good for your confidence. It's reinforcing and all of that. But it really isn't a very creative or adventurous life. One way to create gravity around B is you make what you're going after more vivid and you give it more meaning. So is your vision clear? Is it compelling? How valuable is it? How meaningful is it? As you enroll people in it, as you commit to it, it gains more gravity. The more you put yourself out there, the more you say what it is that you actually want to create, the more gravity B takes on. And then the more you experiment and the more you live more adventurously and try different things and start to have fun doing that and overcome your fear of that, then B prime has more gravity. Like you learn to really enjoy and thrive in an uncertain environment. 
when things are certain, there aren't a lot of possibilities. When things are uncertain, it's a little bit scary, but there's also a lot more possibility. You can kind of train yourself to learn how to thrive in that environment. And that creates more gravity in a sense. It pulls you. It's also the more you know your essence. I think of it as uh, tropisms. Tropisms are your your natural inclination to grow in a certain way. Plants are tropistic to light. I have a plant on my desk and one side of my office is all glass sliding doors. And the plant leans from my desk toward the windows. And every now and then I have to turn it around so it'll (laughs) straighten itself out. And then it leans again toward the windows. That's tropism, right? So you find out what your tropisms are. What do you naturally lean toward? What do you grow toward? What are you longing for? And the more you nourish that and respect that and honor it, then the more gravity your B prime has, the more gravity your essence and the the life that you're here to live, you know, the stronger it is. And again, you know, everything we're talking about applies very much to your personal life, but it also applies to your business. Yeah. One of the things just about this whole conversation that really strikes me is also, you know, when we're thinking about leaders is the requirement for them to go on a personal transformation as part of the journey, as part of the quest, right? And when I'm thinking about just my internalizing this, my own A's were things of fear, like believing that I was a failure from the past, not recognizing some of my own tropisms or not actually valuing them or self-limiting beliefs, imposter syndrome. I think I went through, I think I have all of them. I don't know. Maybe I, I've gone through everything. <laughs> continue to go through all of them. Well, imposter syndrome, you know, my definition of imposter syndrome is where your capabilities are appear. I'm showing that you have a high degree of capability and you have a lower identity. Your identity, how you see yourself, which is your identity is your beliefs about yourself, is lower than your actual capabilities. An imposter is someone whose identity, their beliefs about themselves, is greater than their actual capabilities. What you do if you have imposter syndrome is you don't lower your capabilities. You have to learn how to raise your identity, how to change your beliefs about yourself. And that's why the work that you need to do if you have imposter syndrome is not so much on the outside, it's on the inside. That's why it's a journey of personal transformation. I went through that. And I think, part, you know, we talked about this a little bit before, but like going out for me and seeking some validation around my essence was really powerful. Like it's so close to me. I didn't see it. I didn't think it was valuable. I didn't think it was this thing. So my identity, like my capabilities were way up here, but my identity around it was much lower. So when going out there and getting some feedback, oh yeah, no, that is really valuable to me, really helped bring those two things in alignment. That's one of the strategies. Yeah. A lot of people have no idea of their essence. I mean, aside from the way we're talking about it, they just have no idea that they might be naturally good at something because we tend to discount things that we're naturally good at. It's so easy, whatever it is for someone, it's so easy and they do it without thinking or without any effort that it's in a way transparent. They just don't even notice that that's what they're doing. Just like you said, you're a natural connector, but you had no idea about that because you never even notice that that's what you were doing all the time. It can be really helpful to get some feedback. It can be helpful, for example, to ask your clients, you know, what do they appreciate? What do they value about what you do? Or your friends or family even, or your friends. You know, if you ask people, what would be missing if I wasn't in your life is a good question to get at essence. 
Yeah, I love that question. So we've helped define leadership questing, begin to kind of put some color around what does it mean to, to break out of the orbit of A on your way to B prime. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, I'm on that quest now. Talk to me about building the mountain and kind of about the building the mountain. Okay. <laughs> building the mountain is just a different way to think about leadership and especially entrepreneurship. Most entrepreneurs, when they're doing a startup, they think, okay, this is going to be like climbing the mountain. It's going to be a lot of work, overcoming a lot of obstacles, and eventually I'm going to get at the top of the mountain and I'll be on the cover of Forbes or Wired magazine or I don't know, whatever, whatever the magazine is that is the fast company, whatever it is. Leadership is not climbing the mountain. It's building a mountain underneath you. Being an entrepreneur is not climbing the mountain. It's building a mountain underneath you. When you're doing a startup and it's you and maybe your co-founder or a handful of people and everybody is doing everything because, you know, just everything has to get done with limited people and limited resources, it can feel like climbing a mountain. But if you want to create a successful organization, you have to build a mountain underneath you. You actually have to build the mountain. The way that I think about building the mountain is instead of starting at the bottom, start at the top. What is the top of the mountain? The top of the mountain for any given person is doing the most valuable things that only they can do. When everybody in your company, everybody in your organization is doing the most valuable things they can do, in other words, they're doing things that are really resonant and aligned with their essence, then you have a more powerful organization. So if you think about that in broad terms, the highest value things that a leader can do, it really boils down to a handful of things. It's future, impact, systems, strategy, culture, and leadership. So what I mean by that is, the first thing is, wherever you are in the organization as a leader, you need to have a vision for the future. You need to understand what is the future of your industry, your business, your product, your self, the world, the environment that you live in. You have to have an idea of what the future looks like. And you have to have an idea of what your B is. Like, what are you aiming for? Being really clear about that. Impact is you have to be very clear about priorities. Where do you create the most value? By the way, again, you know, we're talking about building the mountain, we're talking about leadership, but keep in mind my definition of leadership. It can be anybody at any level in the organization. Really what leadership about, if you're a leader, you need to make yourself and everyone in the organization more valuable. I love that. The more impact you have, meaning the more you can influence how valuable everyone around you is, the more powerful a leader you are. Okay. So that's impact. Then systems is really thinking about, most people in most organizations either think about themselves, mostly self-interest, status-seeking, scarcity, and survival. Maybe they think about their team. Maybe they think about their department or their function. But you'll notice that the higher up the mountain you are, the more you're actually thinking about the entire organization and how everything relates and creates, leverages value and creates more value together. Then you extend that even outside of the organization and you think about the ecosystem that you're in, stakeholders, and ultimately, I would say the planet. I love that Patagonia thinks that their customer is the planet. 
So systems thinking, thinking about how things interrelate. One of the most important things you can do is networking. And networking means, I don't just mean making connections between people and so forth, but by networking, I mean really networking, weaving strong connections together. The more you create cross-functional interactions and relationships and trust within an organization, the more successful it will be. So that's systems thinking. And then strategy is you have to think about how you are going to execute and create. There's another model in the book called the Futurosity Continuum. My definition of strategy is intentionally setting about creating a future of your own choosing versus being reactive or proactive even, which is still responding to things that are happening in the past. Being strategic is knowing what your B is, right? Getting a clear vision of the best thing you can imagine and being very intentional about aiming for that. But in order to get to B prime, you also have to go beyond strategic to what I would call emergent, which is you have to pay attention to what shows up when you're pursuing your B. Coaching from essence is a good example of that. I mean, I had no intention of creating a training program for coaches. I just wanted to be the best possible coach that I could be. But as I started to be more successful, it started with some person, I did have a lot of coaching friends then, and someone pinged me on Facebook, I think it was, and said, hey, you know, I heard from a friend, so-and-so, that you're creating this really successful coaching practice. Could I buy you lunch or, you know, buy you a cup of coffee? And I'm thinking about being a coach. So I met someone and had an interesting conversation. A little while later, I got another message from somebody else. Well, after about half a dozen <laughs> invitations for coffee or, or lunch, I decided, hey, maybe there's something to yeah. this. So that's uh-huh. emergent. It's, it's weak signals, right? Paying attention to the weak signals that appear as you go about intentionally creating something. Now, some of those things will be shiny objects. You know, there'll be distractions. And some will be opportunities are more opportunistic. And some will be things that you just possibilities that you'd never thought of. That's being on a quest. So I decided that I could learn a lot by teaching. And so that, so I decided to try that. So that's strategy. And then culture, culture is a whole separate conversation. We can get into a big one, but, but culture is a big one. And then there's leadership and leadership is, you know, everything that we've been talking about. It's really the personal work that you do in order to be able to learn how to lead a group of people through the unknown to something better than they can imagine. The way that I think of it is I'm interested in working with people who are doing something so aspirational that they know it will require a personal transformation. They can't create it as they are now. They will have to change in order to change what they want to create in the world. I love the models. I love the way that you see this. Just was if we kind of double click on leadership, I mean, what are the types of personal transformations that you have seen in your many years? Like, what are there common threads to them or what, what are the types of things? So I'm an, I'm an aspiring leader, I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm like, okay, I, I didn't realize I was gonna have to go through personal transformation. Like, what are some of the things that people have to go through? You know, that's a really interesting question. My first response is it's very bespoke, right? It's very individual because it really is different for each person. 
here's what I think it has in common, or here's like a, a scope of it. Part of it is competency. There's knowledge, skills, and abilities that you need to grow as you take on more responsibility. And especially challenging if you're, say, a technical founder. One of the biggest challenges for a technical founder is that if you want to build a mountain underneath you and you want to move up the mountain, you have to stop doing things that are actually of lower value that people lower on the mountain can do, like coding or whatever it is, right? So you have to learn to scale yourself and learn how to become more of a leader. For some people, that's improving their EQ. It might be their communication skills. It might be their relationship skills and things like that. So knowledge, skills, and abilities is certainly part of it. Sometimes the personal transformation has to do with realigning priorities, shifting your priorities and making other things more valuable. Sometimes for almost everybody, it has to do with a change in beliefs and identity. Those are sort of more kind of obvious practical things. But I think the other thing that happens is just this, what I call the essential choice, moving from self-interest, status-seeking, scarcity, and survival to essence, abundance, service, and trust. When you start creating from your essence, you start to create things with less effort and things move more easily. And you start to feel more abundant. You may have an experience of gratitude, which is what I call the beginner's practice. When you start creating a life that's more aligned with who you are and things start going better and you're a little bit happier, you become very grateful for your life. You start to recognize just how good you actually have it. Being grateful for the good things in your life is the beginner's practice of the beginner's practice, right? The advanced practice of gratitude is learning to become grateful for everything in your life, which is like you were saying, you know, learning to be grateful for your lessons. Some people call them failures. We learn to be grateful for our lessons, right? It's what, what I call the dark ally. Yeah, that totally resonates with me. I just, the moment when I realized some of my deepest traumas actually mm. were gifts to the world was that really struck a chord with me. And I really recognized, wait a second, the fact that I was able to process through this trauma myself and then in sharing that experience helped somebody else on their path or, or on their quest, actually, in this case, that's when I realized that, wow, that is really a gift to the world. And I was so great. I'm grateful for it. I wouldn't go back and change it. I wouldn't go back and change it. Those two years were the hardest years of my life. And as you know, I have cancer. I have stage four prostate cancer. Cancer is nothing like heartbreak. I mean, heartbreak makes you want to die. Cancer makes you want to live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cancer is a dark ally. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but it has taught me so much about what is important in life. I'm grateful for my cancer. I hope to be grateful for it for a very long time. Me too. But I've learned so much about what's important in life from my cancer. So you have these experiences, you, you become more grateful. And then the advanced practice is generosity. So you become more abundant. If you're a leader and you're starting to create something, especially like if you're a startup and it's just a handful of people and you're growing this organization and you're, you're enrolling people because something about who you are and what you're doing is inspiring people, then... Part of the personal transformation, I think, that makes for a good leader is you 
become a more abundant person and you start to see that what you're actually doing by creating an organization that's doing something meaningful in the world is you're creating purpose and meaning for lots of people. If you're creating something that isn't creating purpose and meaning and it's only creating money, good for you. Good luck with that. I want to be clear. There's nothing wrong with money, but it's not a very good motivation for creating things. When you get to a certain level, it's a fool's errand, I think. I'm with you. And I think, I mean, one of the things you said at our last retreat actually was it kind of clicked with me. Like you kind of have to win this first game. Like you have to win this status seeking, self-interest, scarcity, survival game. And that there's some element that is probably always there a little bit. And kind of linking back to the mountain, you know, one of the things that got me thinking, I mean, are you building on the right mountain is kind of this question, right? Are you building on the mountain of self-interest, status seeking, scarcity, survival, or are you building on essence, service, abundance, and trust? That's right. That's right. And you can be thinking that you're building on one mountain and you're actually building on another. Yeah. Yeah. I really love what you said about, as we're talking about leadership, I mean, helping other people quest, creating purpose for people in the world, all of that really strikes a chord with me. I mean, I, you know, obviously the people that know me on, you know, I do nonprofit work and I feel like it's very purpose-driven and mission aligned, but even said, just to be able to kind of codify that. And, and I've heard you talk a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I keep getting nuggets. So it's really Good. helpful. Good. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, uh, a few years ago, I developed the leadership curriculum for the global startup program at Singularity University. The global startup program doesn't exist anymore. But so I developed this leadership program. And part of it was also an opportunity for people to get one-on-one -on -one coaching. So I would do this course and then that would be available. I'd have office hours and people would come. So this program was, you know, there'd be like 40 or 50 entrepreneurs from all over the world. And Singularity University's whole thing is, what are you doing to positively impact a billion people? What was so interesting to me is when the program first started and people started to come to talk to me for the first time, I can't tell you how many people, the first thing they said to me was, I don't know if I belong here. All these people are so smart and everything, and I don't know if what I'm working on is big enough. I don't know if it'll positively impact a billion people. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. And I would say, do you love it? And they would say, yes, you know. And I would say, are you having a meaningful impact? And they would say, yeah, I know that it's impacting some people. And then I would say, then it's enough. Don't worry about it. Just keep doing oh, that, that, you know. Everyone has some doubt and insecurity. Yeah. And scale isn't everything. I mean, this is the thing, you know, what about, I always think about this is in the world of Stripe, I mean, obviously scale up Stripe, we want to grow scale, like that's great. But what if you just help the one person or you create some part of your life that you're helping these people and it's not going to scale to a billion people, like that's really valuable. If it's providing joy, you're I think it's important to recognize. Do you know what operates solely under the principle of scaling? Do you know what the only thing it does is scale? No. Cancer. Oh. Ooh. Hmm. Cancer's sole purpose is to replicate. It's just growth scale. without. Yeah. yeah, it's just growth. It's growth without, without any meaning or purpose. No. Even within my body, the 
best solution for me and for cancer is an uneasy truce. It's okay if I have cancer in my body. Actually, most of us do. But if I keep it in check, I think of it as the uninvited guest, you know. Yes. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want it to be here, but I'm trying to keep it from taking over the whole house and, and burning the house down. I mean, that's what cancer does. To scale just for the sake of scaling is suicidal. We get, Just look at the world. We're in the situation that we're in because most people are operating from self-interest, status-seeking, scarcity, and survival. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Like we have to do that. We have to find our way in the world. We have to learn how to survive and so forth. Don't misunderstand me. But after you get to a place where you have enough, it's really important to know what is enough. Then it's important to change the game and start playing from essence, abundance, service, and trust. Yeah. And that question, uh, that inquiry of what is enough, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It's been on my mind a lot. And, you know, obviously it's true. It's different for everybody. But how do you think about what's enough? I'm at a place in my life where no material thing is going to make me any happier than I already am. I'm completely happy, you know, and I'm, I'd say, moderately successful. I'm probably in the I don't, I might be in the 1%. I don't know. I don't, I don't look at that, but I have the BMW convertible in the, in the driveway. And I've got, you've been to my house. I have a beautiful house and I have an incredible life. I don't need another car. Or new, I mean, I, my car is not a new car. My house is not a huge house. I have every material thing that I need to be happy. There is no material thing that will make me any happier. What will make me happier is I'm pretty, pretty happy. You're a pretty happy guy. I'd be happier if I didn't have cancer, maybe at this point, you know, kind of like if you, I hope I've gotten the message, but you know, what makes me happy is doing meaningful work and being a meaningful contribution in people's lives. I'm good. I need so little. This is abundance. You know, I'm at a place in my life where I am so happy. I'm overflowing. My aim in life now is to give myself away. I want to empty myself out and give myself away. That's the quest that I'm on right now is how do I just create more value from my best self? This goes into the category of one of the other most important things that I think you've taught me is really what does it mean to be generous? I love from the moment we met, you talked to me about how you structured your practice, but it just really struck me. I used to oh, you have, you know, oh, it's pay it forward, which, but I think generosity is way beyond that. And I think about this in my own life. You know, my generosity practice is the men's work I do. It just continues to pay dividends for me in ways in the world. There is no financial component to it. It is just all hard work. And it's amazing to me and how fulfilling that is and to see the impact of that. And I, I learned that. I think you unlocked that in me. I mean, I knew that was kind of always there, but to like put a frame around it and to recognize how that all fits in to move past scarcity and really lean into that generosity. I just wanted you giving yourself away has had such a ripple effect in my community because of all the impacts that you've, you know, all the things you've taught to me and all the lessons. Thank you. I'm really happy to hear that. I mean, for me, generosity Again, I think generosity is sort of the advanced practice. Gra gratitude is a good practice, but it's all about yourself, right? Yeah. 
generosity is no longer about yourself. It's about giving yourself away. So the beginner's practice of generosity is to give your money or your time. Anybody with money can give money. Anybody with time can donate their time. The kind of generosity that I'm talking about is really being generous with your being. How present can you be? How open can you be? How much are you willing to let other people see you? You can ask me anything. I, I will talk to you about anything. I try to be present with the people that I'm with. I mean, I'm not, I'm a human being. I'm not always good at this, but when I'm coaching or when I'm with friends or when I'm with someone and I think that I can be helpful, I try to really ground myself and be present with that person. Generosity to me is being generous with your being, you know, and giving yourself away. Part of that is, you know, when I train coaches, I encourage all my coaches to have pro bono clients for a few reasons. Number one is it's generosity. Also, if you want to be a good coach, you need to get lots of experience. You need to work on your identity as a coach. It's a good way to build your practice. But the main reason is to keep yourself from becoming an asshole. It's a good thing to do to help others. That's service. Your essence wants to serve. It's your way of being valuable in the world. You'll be happier the more opportunities you give yourself to express your best self in the world. Money is secondary to that. My experience was the more I did that, the more I gave myself away, the more money I made. Yeah. So money is no longer an issue for me. I have enough. It does take trust to, to, to break through that though. You know, I think yeah. people get stuck in, it's, that's a hard one to let go of for many people. Yeah, when I talk about trust, specifically what I'm talking about is trusting that if you create your life from essence, abundance and service, the universe will support you. It will work. We're all taught that it won't work. Like, I don't, I don't know about you, but I had a lot of upbringing around, you have to do something practical and what are you gonna do? Once I got to a certain age, what are you gonna do for a living and it's time to buckle down and get a good job and all of that? Well, that was all status, that was all self-interest, status-seeking, scarcity and survival. I never learned to trust my essence. No one recognized me for being the kind of creative person or my ability to be a coach or to be helpful or to do some pattern recognition and create different ideas and all of the things that are, I would say, part of my essence. No one really encouraged me around that. I shouldn't say no one. I mean, there were people who encouraged me, but I wasn't taught to trust that and pursue that and create my life around that. That's the kind of trust that I'm talking about. Which, as a parent, trying to teach that to your children is hard, right? Like, you, you're, there's conflicting. You have your experience. You want to kind of keep them safe and protected in the world. But at the same time, you want them to really live as who they are. I, I love this idea of, you know, when you look at a piece of art, there's two ways to look at it. It's like the Jackson Pollock painting where you just keep putting on strokes. At some point, you don't really know if it's done or not. Or if you look at the block of jade and you realize, oh, wait a second. The art piece is already inside there. We just have to carve it out. Like the latter is kind of how I think about parenting. Like they, who they are, their essence is in there. How do we remove the obstacles in order for that to come through? Which is a trust exercise because now I want to carve it in this way so it fits into the thing so they're safe and they can do it. You know, I feel the tension in that as a parent all the time. That's a beautiful metaphor. And what I would suggest is that it's not either or. This is also the way I think of coaching. You know, what you're talking about, like the jade is evocation, right? It's how do you evoke what's already there? How do you bring out the person's natural 
best self. And Jackson Pollock is provocation. You know, it's just like, okay, go challenge yourself, do something wild, go be adventurous. That's how I think of coaching. Good coaching to me is evocation and provocation. Evocation is drawing the client out, drawing the person out and being curious and helping them discover, you know, sometimes I say a good coaching conversation is when both people get something they didn't know they needed and learn something they didn't know they knew. That's evocation, right? You're evoking and drawing out something, helping the person tap into their own creativity and knowledge and so forth. But that's only half of the equation. The other half is provocation, which is challenging the person to look at things differently or maybe try something different or get out of their comfort zone and take a risk or or something like that. So so I think you can do both as a parent. Yeah. This is why I love you, Robert. I got to tell you, <laughs> <laughs> I'm continuing learning and growing and just becoming more enriched as a result of knowing you. It's, so we're talking about coaching. Why is it so important as an entrepreneur or as a leader to have a coach? What do you see as the, the highest value? Name one sports figure who doesn't have a coach. Not possible. Okay. Yeah, not possible, right? So why do they have coaches? Because first of all, if you want to get better at something, you have to recognize that we don't know it all ourselves, right? We learn from each other. It's not just learning, but it's support. I mean, the way I think of myself as a coach is I'm an ally. You know, when I talk to clients, I say, listen, first of all, you're not paying me for my time. You're not paying me for results because I can't do the work for you. So what are you paying me for if you're not paying me for my time or the results? They're paying me to be an ally. I'm in their corner. A client tells me their dream and I believe them. And when they forget who they are and what they're pursuing and why, I remind them. I also bring a lot of tools and models and ways of thinking to the table, and I'm also provocative. I push them. Most of us don't know what we're capable of, and most of us would prefer to stay at A. We would prefer to stay in our comfort zone. To have a companion on the journey, a trusted companion, who will challenge you and support you can be invaluable, and that's what a good coach does. The other thing is if you're in a business and if you're in a competitive business, you know, and I tell people sometimes is I have done a lot of presentation skills coaching for IPOs and things like that. So what I'll tell the, I might be working with the CEO on their roadshow or something, and most of them are fairly confident and I'm giving them a lot of very specific feedback. So what I tell them is, look, you need to think of yourself like an Olympic athlete. What's the difference between the fastest person in the world and the second fastest person in the world? In the 100 meter, it's a few hundredths of a second. If you're an entrepreneur who's trying to raise money and you're pitching, or if you're a CEO who's taking your company public, anything you do that gives you an edge can be the difference between gold or bronze. It can be the difference between getting the deal or not getting the deal. It can be the difference between succeeding against your competitor or becoming an also-ran. It can be certainly become the difference between raising money or not raising money. It's important to become better. Now, I do want to be clear. I'm not 
all about achievement. <laughs> you know, I'm not about doing that at the expense of your humanity. I think everything that we've talked about leading up to this would validate what you just said about it's not all about achievement. I mean, we're talking we're deep personal work. And I think one of the things that really resonated with me is, especially when you're a leader or entrepreneur, who's really going to be in a position to give you provocative questions or to be, you know, like it, you're by the very nature of it, it's not going to be the people working with you underneath you. Cause they, there's no incentive to do so. You know, you, these aren't necessarily conversations you want to have with your spouse. I mean, even, you know, I've been part of a CEO group for many years in EO. I still am. And even in that environment as powerful as it is, it doesn't necessarily provide provocation in the same way. And there's allyship, but there's it's allyship in a group setting, which is super powerful. And I would recommend any entrepreneur look at EO. Even with that, I think you nailed it. To be an ally, to really be able to go along the journey with somebody is one of the, I mean, that's been my experience and very well said. You also summed it up very well. I mean, if you're the CEO, if you're the founder and you're leading a, an organization, who do you talk to? If you talk to your spouse, after a while, as supportive as they are, they're going to get a little tired of it. You maybe don't want to talk to your board or your investors because you don't want them to worry and lose confidence in you. You don't want to talk to your executive team because if I'm talking to you and you're on my executive team about somebody else on the executive team, then you're going to wonder what I'm saying when I'm talking to that person, right? Most of the things that people talk about in coaching are people, either other people on their team or other players that are impacting what they're trying to create or themselves. And so then you also have to decide, are you in a place where it's safe to be that vulnerable with someone and not come from self-interest, status-seeking, scarcity, and survival? You don't have to play that game with me when I'm coaching you. It's okay. You don't have to look good. It's fine. We both just show up as two human beings. Which is remarkably powerful. I mean, I think one of those things, just that the more that I feel I'm able to show up just as exactly who I am, the more fun I'm having, the more comfort, the more, and, it, and the more success that I'm, that Absolutely. I'm finding. It's surprising. I, I guess it's surprising having looked back along the journey. It's not so surprising <laughs> now, but you know, thinking about where I started and where we come has just been remarkable. Well, so the book is really a culmination of your work. This is, it's going to be coming out here on Amazon. Who should read the book? The book is, it's available for pre-order now. I don't know when you'll actually post this podcast, but it'll be published on March 31st, the ebook. The paperback will be available probably a few days or a week after that. The book was written for coaches, but that said, it's really not just a book for coaches. I mean, at some point, I guess I'll have to write a book for leaders and a book you know, for the general audience if I live long enough. The book is really for anyone who wants to create a better life. I almost called the book Better Than You Can Imagine. I mean, maybe that'll be the title of the book for a more general audience. Everything that is in the book is really about how to create something better than you can imagine in the world. That's really what it's about. The models that we talked about, like A to B, are as applicable to anyone, including leaders or entrepreneurs, as it is to coaches. It's the model that I often use in the first conversation or second conversation with all of my clients, because that's how I view what we're doing together. We're on a quest to help create something 
that is better than would have been possible if we hadn't worked together. Otherwise, why would they work with me? So I need to create more possibility for them than they would otherwise create. That's part of my role as a coach. So the book is really about how to create things. It's a language for creating. And it's some model of some very simple models or frameworks, just ways to clarify what is required in order to lead a more creative, adventurous life. The book is really kind of broken down into a few sections. One is about being on a quest. One is about understanding the difference between form and essence. One section is about practice building, if you are a coach, that would be as applicable if you were, say, a consultant or someone like that. One section is basic coaching skills, which is absolutely applicable to leaders, you know, how to have a good coaching conversation, for example. One section is about how to deal with the dark ally. If you go on an adventure, not everything works out. So how do you navigate that? And then the end of the book is the ultimate practice, which you have to read the book if you want to know the ultimate practice. <laughs> we talked well, about I've the re- beginner yeah. practice and the advanced practice. You got to leave something for the book. And, and I, you know, right. I've had the pleasure of reading the early copy and being involved in it. And I can tell you, it's an amazing book. And it's a companion that will always come with, along with me. And I reread it often. And it's just, I, I feel like it's one of those things where you're with me every time I read it, which is just <laughs> makes it even more enjoyable. And uh, you know, you. I have to say, Robert, this has been one of the more challenging, it's probably not the right word, but like this conversation it's just so beautiful for me. I, we've worked together for so, so often. So it's interesting for me to try and host the conversation <laughs> also while I'm learning and jotting notes like I'm used to with you. So I just, it's been such a lovely journey to go on this with you. I am, I'm just so honored that you spent some time with me to come on to the podcast. I know that my audience will resonate with this work. Mm. I'm so excited for this book, I'm hoping it's going to be at least a trilogy, maybe more. <laughs> We're keeping cancer in check. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you, how much you mean to me, and how much you've made an impact in my life. And I just really love you, my friend. It's just thank you so much for this time. It's such a privilege to be with you and to work with you. And I love you. It's been such a gift. Can I make one more plug? Absolutely. Part of my generosity is I have given the entire Coaching from Essence course away. It's completely free. In fact, you can go through the course like three times. There's a community forum and all of it is completely free. So if you go to coachingfromessence.com, you can join the community. If you're a coach, you can go through the entire program. You don't have to be a coach. You could be a leader, I suppose. But just so that people know, it's completely free in the entire courses there. That's great. I will make sure and put all that in the in the show notes for everybody. And just go to coachingfromessence.com. Go look on Amazon, Coaching from Essence, Robert Ellis. Amazing human. <laughs> One of my great teachers. Thank you. And thanks for coming on the podcast. We'll, we'll talk soon. Doug, thank you so much. <laughs>